Everyone, remain calm. Yeah, ooh, ah, that's how it always starts. And later there's running and screaming. Somebody talk to me, what is happening? Welcome to Jurassic World. You're listening to the Jurassic Park Podcast. You want to consult here or in my bungalow? <laughs> Hold on to your butt. Well, we're back. Hello and welcome to the 72nd episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Jost, and we're here to discuss all things Jurassic Park. In this episode, we've got some really cool news pertaining to the Jurassic World sequel. We'll debut a brand new segment called Amber Finds, featuring collector Jay Jurassic, where he highlights a piece of Jurassic memorabilia each segment. I'm really excited to debut that solo segment, so hopefully you enjoy it. And we'll finish the episode out with a trip to the Visitor Center, where I chat with Jurassic World actor Colby Boothman. We had a great chat, so definitely stick around to hear it. This is a seriously packed episode, so let's kick it off with a bit of Jurassic news from around the world. 18 minutes and your company catches up on 10 years of research. Access rate program. Access rate security. These pictures were taken in hospital in Costa Rica 48 hours ago. I don't want to jump to any conclusions, but look. Boy, my head being right all the time. But today, I guarantee it. So I guess it's about time to start implementing spoiler warnings as news for Jurassic World 2 starts rolling in. So if you don't want to know anything about potential casting calls, then maybe skip ahead past the news section. Uh, It's really not all that spoilery, but uh, just a heads up anyway. So last week via Josh at Nublar7 and also the full scoop on JurassicOutpost.com, a casting call has been revealed for the Jurassic World sequel. It seems as though they are looking to cast the role of Lucy. Now, that name is surely a placeholder for now, but they are looking for a young girl for a major role here. I'll read the listing straight from the casting call. She is a young girl around nine years of age. The girl playing Lucy must be at least nine years of age by February 2017, but cannot be over 10 years old. She must be a sensitive and clever actress, capable of handling long and complex scenes. Lucy must be able to handle a range of emotions from tender moments with her father to anxiety, bravery, and shock. This role represents a huge and exciting opportunity for a young actress to play a significant role in a major Hollywood blockbuster. So there you have it. It's definitely an interesting interesting and thought-provoking casting call if you really start to look into it a little bit further. So it definitely seems to be continuing the trend of making these dinosaur films about family and always including kids. Um, I think that's very important for these films. You know, we've seen Lex, Tim, Kelly, Eric, Zach, and Gray so far, but uh, maybe Lucy is next in line. Another interesting note in that casting call is her ability to handle a range of emotions with her father. Now, that's really interesting to me. Um, is Is her father somebody new? or is it somebody that we already know? Could she be the child of Dr. Grant, the one that he's been longing for since Jurassic Park? Is she another child in the long list of Ian Malcolm's family tree? Or does Owen have a secret child in the mainland? Or or maybe even Nick Van Owen is bringing his family into the mix. Uh, All right, you know, maybe that one's a little bit of a stretch, but I'm putting my money on Grant having a kid. Sam Neill put forth such an amazing performance next to a child in Hunt for the Wilder People, so could they maybe be building off of that formula? 
I guess we'll have to wait and see. You can visit JurassicOutpost.com for all the details on the casting call. I'll also post a link to the article in our show notes. Uh, we've actually got a lot of birthdays to celebrate here. Last Friday, the 22nd, was Mr. Jeff Goldblum's birthday. Sunday, the 23rd, was the creator of this entire saga's birthday, Mr. Michael Crichton. Happy birthday in the great beyond, wherever you are. Uh, and today, the release of this episode, Monday, October 24th, celebrates the birthday of Jurassic World alumni B.D. Wong and Zara herself, Katie McGrath. Happy birthday to all, and here's to another year of success. Oh, there it is. There it is. All right, folks, here's the cue. Anytime you hear this, just know that Amber Fines is on the way. He's got some change. He takes quarters. I got like, I got a buck. I got a buck ten. How'd you get it? You don't want to know. Who name it? We got it. Where did you get that? I got it on eBay. Then they're expensive. Put them back. He's a digger. I had a promise to conduct a very thorough on-site inspection. And get stuff in the sale. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I got it for $150, but we'll pay it. And then there's the merchandise. I can personally... Donald, Donald. This park was not built to cater only for the super rich. That first park was legit. I could write all kinds of numbers on this check. I remember that on InGen's list. Because it wasn't on their list. This fossilized tree sand, which we call amber... Hey Jurassic fans, this is Amber Fines. Cool segment where I'll be talking about collectibles, um, toys I'm actively hunting down, uh, pieces of my collection, and anything really to do with Jurassic Park merchandise and memorabilia. Anything cool from Jurassic. Well, everything from Jurassic is cool. So everything from Jurassic Park, you know. From the first movie to the last one that we've seen. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a cool segment that will be part of a Jurassic Park podcast. This was a segment that um, me and Brad had talked about. It was Brad's uh, idea. And I thought it was a great idea. And since I have a pretty pretty okay, you know, size collection. And, and I am a huge collector of Jurassic Park and a huge fan. I, was, I jumped on board, yeah. I thought it'd be cool. So since it is called Amber Finds... Um, I thought it'd be appropriate to uh, start off with the Jurassic Park Topps Comics 1 Amber Chrome Edition. Alright, so I actually own this and I'll give you a little quick history about the Topps Comics or this issue in particular. Okay, so Jurassic Park Comics were made by Topps Comics. And they ran from, uh, this particular one, uh, ran from June to August 1993 to go with the movie's release. And other series happened, but we'll be talking about this one, basically. It was written by Walt Sam Simonson. Yeah, Walt Simonson. Drawn by Gil Kane and George Perez. Now, quick little note on George Perez. I really want him to sign my issue. And, um, find out when is the next uh, con he'll be at I think there's one in April so I'm going to try to go to that one guys because I really want him to get to sign this issue it would be really cool to have his signature on there I'm a fan of his other work too anyway uh, the date of the, the price date back in the day in 1993 of this uh, particular issue was 295 now 
I've seen this go from 200 to $500 on eBay and separate auctions and, and separate uh, other websites. It's uh, really valuable, I guess, you know, um, not incredibly valuable, but it's up there, you know, it's up there with the with the Chaos Effect and some of the Chaos Effect dinosaurs and uh, the, the Spinosaurus at the moment, the animatronic one. It's going for like 300 now. Um, luckily, I have that one. It's good because I do not want to spend $300 on one. Um, uh, what is it? The mail-in contest edition was limited to 500 copies. The regular limited edition was 7,500 copies. And um, I have, I think, the regular limited edition. I don't have the mail-in one. Because the mail-in one actually um, had a letter from Walt S uh, Simonson, I think, himself. Um, but this one didn't come with that letter. Um, they're all numbered on the back cover. And the cover is made from, like, fractal shapes that reflect light at all angles. Um, so I'll explain how the cover looks in a, in a second. Um, it was part of four-part adaptation of the movie. Uh, you might have heard of it. I think uh, Jurassic Park, you know. Um, and pretty much it was kind of the same as the movie, but it was a little bit different. So uh, let me give you a little bit examples of some of the differences. Uh, Robert Muldoon does not appear in this issue. Um, the workers, instead of blue, they have green uniforms. The raptor in the beginning of the movie is the big one. We all know who the big one is. The, the, the ferocious raptor, the female, the, the one that takes over the whole group, you know, kills the others and she's the one in charge. She knows what she's doing, you know. Um, in this one, it's just a regular raptor and it gets killed like in the beginning. So there's a little few differences. There's a lot more, but... If I go on and on, it, you know, this will be a lot longer. It's like it's like little things, but they are different, you know. Um, so yeah, so it pretty much is cool to have this issue and watch the movie as well, because as a kid, you can kind of like make more, kind of do almost of like a Marvel or DC thing, how they have different universes, so like the movie verse is that verse, and then you have your comic book universe, and as a kid you can imagine two different types of adaptations to the movie that you love so much, you know, so I did that with my toys, and I guess you could do that with the comic books too, since there are different interpretations of what the movie, they're similar, but they're different slightly, you know, so, uh, let's see, now let's explain what this this uh, guy looks like well it's a it's uh it has on the top top left corner it says tops comics one and then at the very top says spectacular steven spielberg film is now a comic which is awesome um huge jurassic park font saying jurassic park and then the cover itself is a raptor jumping out of the jungle ready to attack what looks to be tim tim is one foot inside a puddle the other one is like he, he's he's in that mode where it's like flight or fight type of mode and really i don't think he's going to try to fight the raptor but 
you know, I, I think he's ready to run. But he's he's kind of frozen, like he's in shock, you know. And there's a tree falling right in front of Tim, which looks like the tree that Ellie jumps over like three or four times in <laughs> in Jurassic Park. If you if you've seen it, it's a film error. They they show the same image twice. Yeah, it pretty much looks like that. And there's a whole jungle scene with vines and ferns everywhere, and and it's just uh, and there's this Velociraptor Jurassic Park logo sign that you see in the first movie where it says like Velociraptor pen or you know, and it's the claw sign, the claw logo. You know, the T Rex is the T Rex is like skull and a bit of its ribs and its fingers all in bone and skeletal form. Well, this one is like the raptor claw, the foot, the two toes, and the really sharp sickle claw. And to not really the bottom left, but a little bit over the top of the bottom left, it says it has Jurassic Park, the logo, the regular logo that we always have, Walter Simonson, the writer, Gil Kane, George Perez, art, and it says Amber Chrome Edition. And then it has kind of like their little signature kind of thing, like their sign or whatever. But anyway, the cover is actually, it does have these little fractal pieces to it, which when you move it in the light, it shines differently. And it has a filter, like this gold amber, quote, quote, filter on it, which it gives it this really cool like look like you're looking into like the comic itself is being found in an amber piece like you're ready to extract it out of there and, and read it and it's it's a beautiful cover you know if you ever find this somewhere get it do not think twice you get this comic book you will not find this comic book that easily out there i was i was lucky enough to get this one and when i got it Pretty much the comic book store and the guy that owned it before me was pretty much the only two that have opened it except for me myself. I opened it when I first got it and I smelled the the crisp, you know, smell of a brand new comic book from 1993. I can smell the 90s, you know, <laughs> all the stuff from the 90s in this comic book, which is awesome and great and fantastic. Um, a little story about not this particular comic book, but the regular edition. My brother owned this comic book. And uh, back then, all of us, me, my stepbrothers, we all had Jurassic Park toys for like that Christmas. <clears throat> but the only fan was me. I was the real fan of Jurassic Park. They just got the, uh, the toys, uh, you know, just to kind of even us out. You know, like everybody gets the same toy type of thing. But we all got different figures. I remember I had Robert Muldoon. My one brother had Dennis Nedry. The other one had this one and blah, 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 you know, and so on. But my one brother got the comic book. My older brother. And I wanted that comic book. I asked for it every day. I did chores and stuff of his. I, I don't know. You know, what big brothers make you do, like, oh, uh, go eat a bug or something, you know? <laughs> Stupid <laughs> like that. Uh, you know? Um, but, <sighs> he never gave me that comic book. 
he stayed with it and pretty much I'm pretty sure it ended up in the garbage because he did not take care of it it would be lying around somewhere and I, I you know what I mean it's it's not about the access of like you know having the comic book around because it was around it was just knowing that it was mine if I if it was my comic book the ownership that title which it never was, but if I wanted to read it, I could. It was right there. But I wanted it to be my comic book. But sadly, it never became my comic book. And I hunted it down for a long time until I found this Amber Chrome edition. And I was like, I want that one. I want the one that's better than the one I couldn't get. You know, so. Ah, uh, whatever. <laughs> you win some, you lose some, right? Um, so yeah, I have a, other ones in the comic book series, but this one right here particularly is one of the best ones in my collection. Um, it's in pretty, pretty amazing condition. It's one of my prime pieces. I have it in, you know, I have it in a frame kind of, um, thing, having it preserved. Uh, I'm going to get it graded as soon as possible, but I want to get George Perez to sign it before I get it graded. And, um... Yeah, it's it's a great book. If you guys get have the chance to get it, get it. Pull the trigger on that quick if you see it somewhere. Even if it's in bad condition, I would it's a lovely piece of your collection. If you see it in in person, you would understand cuz that is it's an incredible incredible art piece. I mean, I I love the toys, I love everything else, but one of the things I love the most is Jurassic Park art. I am an artist after all. So I appreciate the artwork these guys did for this franchise and it's it's always great to get a piece of art like this. This is more valuable to me than um you know some of these famous artists that have these paintings and stuff. I I much rather have a piece of artwork from Jurassic Park. Maybe funny to some people and he's like and a bit illusion delusional, but to me this means a lot. You know. So having this piece is great so that right there concludes our first segment of amber finds hope you guys enjoyed it hope you guys enjoyed my my bit of a uh, rambling on about this and i will be rambling on about all these pieces that i get my hands on and we'll be doing toy hunts we'll be talking about pieces from other collectors if, if they want to share if you want to share um inf uh, stories about collecting whatever you know, um, you just can contact me. Um, uh, I'm on Instagram at J J A Y E underscore J U R A S S I C K Jurassic, and um, you'll find a lot of pictures of my collection there. And I hope to hear from you guys, and and I hope you like uh, the segment. This is just starting, so I'm still getting the kinks and. You know, getting everything um, working together to see how, how this will work out. But, I mean, I'm excited for this. Uh, I have so many ideas to bring in. And this is just the start. And I just wanted to make a segment about this this comic book since it's Amber Pines. Amber Chrome. Alright. Well, uh, I will let you guys go and uh, continue with Brad. Alright. Brad, give it back to you.
let's open up the doors to the Visitor Center, where I chat with Jurassic World actor Colby Boothman about his work in the Star Wars universe, Jurassic World, and more. Today, here in the Visitor Center, we welcome in actor Colby Boothman, who you know from his work in Jurassic World as Leon the Raptor Handler. How you doing, man? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Good. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful for you to uh, come on here and talk about uh, all kinds of things here. we got a lot of topics to, to uh, discuss. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, so what I do is I, I typically start my interviews off with a super cliche thing here for, for this podcast. Uh, it's a really, really tough question I like to ask everybody. And uh, in your case, it's actually kind of fitting. So here it is. It's, it's tough. Are you ready? I'm, I'm ready. Hit me. <laughs> so if you were stuck in a kitchen, just like in the first Jurassic Park with a raptor, what are you going to do and uh, would you make it out alive? Hopefully I would get saved. And uh, <laughs> if not, close the gate and cross your fingers. Yeah, you know it's a tough situation, man. You, you gotta you gotta think quick. You gotta look around for anything to to use to defend yourself, or hope to get saved. In your case, <laughs> I would probably hide. And fortunately, uh, today we have cell phones, and as long as you have a good signal, maybe text some of the buddies and <laughs> tell them to come over and uh, maybe whisper to the raptors and see if they won't leave me alone. Yeah, I mean, just throw up your hands and and do the pose, and they'll probably stop, right? I mean. They're, they're tamed. That's the universal go away or stop signal for the raptors. <laughs> um, now, we've been working on that. We, we don't have 100% success, but, you know, 2% <laughs> better than nothing. Yeah, yeah. It, it might not be fully reliable as we've seen in Jurassic World, but uh, it worked uh, half the time. Yeah, it doesn't, gen- doesn't generally work on me. I, I tried it <laughs> a few times. I can get the pig to listen, but that's about it. Yeah, the pick. <laughs> all right, so um, before before we actually get into all the Jurassic World stuff, um, I wanted to start off by talking about uh, your work in the universe of Star Wars. Now, uh, you know, this is obviously a Jurassic Park podcast, but for me, Star Wars is one of my favorite things ever, and uh, I really love that to see that you're actually involved in it. Um, you know, if people don't uh, understand the connection for you, You've you've actually done the motion capture work for Luke Skywalker in the new Battlefront video game, right? I did. That was a, a really great experience. Uh, and I've also had the, the pleasure of working with Adam and Jamie on oh, yes. the Mythbusters Star Wars special. Mm-hmm. And that, that was just a blast. Went out to uh, San Francisco and uh, worked with them for a couple weeks. Yeah, that was it. Was that um like how do you get involved with something like that, especially for MythBusters? Do you? I mean, obviously you have a ton of skill when it comes to to lightsabering. Yeah, the way I got started um, doing the the Star Wars sword work and uh, playing Luke Skywalker in Battlefront and the various things that I've done is um, about four years ago. Um, I took a class with Nick Gallard, who was the stunt coordinator and sword choreographer, sword master of the Star Wars prequels. Oh, nice. And uh, I guess I did all right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I had a lot of experience growing up sword fighting and fencing and various styles of blade work. Uh, I started fencing when I was about 10, 11 years old. And by about 12 or 13, I was fencing at a very the high, highest comp competitive levels mm-hmm. uh, i fenced in the uh, fie which is an international fencing federation as well as um you know junior olympics uh, nationals competitions various 
championships mm-hmm. and regional, state, national, and you know, international competitions. So, kind of, I had a lot of experience throughout the years that really helped, um, really develop my sword skills to to a level that made going into learning the Star Wars choreography uh, a much smoother transition. Mm-hmm. And the, the choreography is very different. It's more of a dance than a traditional sword choreography that we know from the uh, even the original Star Wars was very ken- is kendo based, but the prequel style that Nicolard invented for the films is fluid and it is acrobatic and a nature that we haven't seen any other series. And to date, anything that you're going to see of that style is. Mm-hmm. For the most part, I would say inspired by the works that were created for the prequels, and I've been very fortunate uh, to learn the prequel style directly from Nick. And when certain things come up that I might be apt for, uh, I would he, Nick would send me off on on those jobs and uh, do do the best that I can for them. Yeah, you know, that, uh, fencing seems like a very meticulous sport. It looks like it takes a ton of control and skill. Um, and it's not, unfortunately, it's not something that we're exposed to too often. You know, you don't, you can't, I don't know, typically I don't just turn on ESPN and see fencing on there. You know, you always have to wait until the Olympics come around to actually get some exposure. So how is it that you actually, you know, just dive into something like fencing? Um, the fencing is something that's done competitively around the world mm-hmm. and certain places are going to be better than others for learning i first started learning fencing in rhode island and that was at the rhode island fencing academy and club under alex Ripa, alex Ripa. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is probably one of the not probably that is without a doubt one of the best schools in the world for fencing so if you happen wow. to live in rhode island or the new england area uh there's a lot of very highly competitive schools in the area uh you know there's some bias towards rhode island because that's where i i learned and they are very very good Uh, you will you will always see them coming out at the top of any competition around the world oh wow and uh, other places in the area new york is incredible as well as uh boston new hampshire the New England region is very strong and competitive for fencing. Mm-hmm. It's also for those of you who are looking for something to maybe maybe dive into or try. It's not easy. A lot of people go into it thinking that it's something they can transition to from other sports. It's much faster. Mm-hmm. The speed of, of fencing is unlike anything. Uh, even baseball, uh, I would yeah. say, would have it even people who train with reaction times of, of the highest level will have difficulties with fencing. Wow. Uh, the people that I think would have the easiest transition into fencing would be people who do combat sports. So uh-huh. boxers would have a, a far easier time than someone who's coming from tennis or um, baseball simply because martial arts in general there's a lot of footwork involved, and boxing is very much a, a footwork sport. Mm-hmm. And before you can learn to do anything else, you have to learn the footwork, and that's much the same with fencing. So if somebody has a, had experience with boxing, you 
I think a boxer would have a much easier time transition transitioning into into fencing if it's something that they want to try their hand in. Uh, of course, starting at a young age is always going mm-hmm. to be a, good for people who are looking to get into fencing. Um, it, as you get older, it's, it's much harder because you really <laughs> have to develop your your skills and reflexes. Yeah, you lose that um, reaction time. <laughs> Yeah, and if you can't keep up with that reaction time, you're going to have a more difficult. I'm not going to um, say don't go and try it. It's, it's a lot of fun, and anybody can jump into it and take classes. I've met people of all ages who get started on it and start going to competition. People who started in their 40s and then start uh, doing competition, they might get their ratings and go to the national competitions and hmm. can do quite well learning from a late later age uh, i know a lot of coaches who have who have even done that um but it's it's definitely something really fun and something i enjoy doing yeah i mean obviously it worked out for you and uh it, you must have been like a huge star wars fan ahead of time so so when you're out there fencing are you thinking about you know your lightsaber moves or anything are you thinking that potentially one day i'm going to use this skill somewhere else <laughs> <laughs> uh I, I would say that uh I started fencing because of an interest in Star Wars. It was really the uh, the prequels, episode one, I would say, that sparked my interest in sword fighting to where mm-hmm. I could go out to Target and buy whatever plastic lightsabers <laughs> yeah. I can get my hands on. <clears throat> and uh, much respect to my dad for, you know, enduring all the torturous battles of my youth. Um. Yeah, there were there were a lot of finger nicks and oh god, bloody yeah. knuckles coming from those <laughs> those lightsaber battles. Yeah, on, on both sides, to be fair, but he he took quite a few on the fingers. <laughs> yeah, you know when those films came out, it was uh, it was so different. You know, the style was so so drastically different than the original three films. So uh, you know, what is it about you know that style that you you like versus the other ones? For me. What stands out the most is the, if I have to call it, I would say the twirling. Mm-hmm. It's the yeah. very just acrobatic uh, dynamic of the prequel fighting that that draws my attention. It's very, very fast. I mean, it's impossibly fast to a point to where at some points in, in filming, the editor has to slow down <laughs> some of the scenes just to be able to catch them for a viewer's perspective. Yeah. Um, that's how quick the lightsaber choreography is. It's, I would say, the the fastest fighting that you will see in cinema today and possibly ever. I mean, what what um, Nick did with the prequels is truly an art form that mm-hmm. I have a deep respect for. Yeah, and I think there's there's something to be said because people like to criticize. Oh, well, it's so, it's too overboard. They they do too much. But it was a different era in that world, you know, in that universe. You know, uh, yeah. by the time it got to Luke, it was kind of gone. That that whole style. So he had to learn for himself. Yeah, and uh, the I guess as far as canon goes, the nature of it that we see in the prequels is the Jedi at their height. Yes, yeah. and uh, they have essentially super human abilities that allow them to do things outside of a you know the norm so while we can't really compare it from a human perspective as being a realistic style of combat if we were to impose this super natural abilities 
then we would do things that wouldn't seem conventional to a, a normal combat point. And that's kind of what uh, I think the, the direction and the writing that Lucas had for it came into play to create these this very fast motion choreography that was developed for the prequels. Yeah, do you think uh, The Force Awakens had kind of a, a little a bit of a mix, or do you think it was more leaning towards the original style? The Force Awakens is definitely leaning towards the original style and that these are very much untrained or with little training mm-hmm. um, characters. So in The Force Awakens, Rey has essentially no training at all. <laughs> you know, she has yeah. her, her staff that she knows how to wield and any experience that she has with the lightsaber is being drawn from that experience of the staff. Uh, so there's there's very little um, learning that they, they've had or mm-hmm. had been taught. And that's why you have this very raw uh, aesthetic to The Force Awakens. And we'll see what comes in in the... Uh, and the coming two films. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if we'll see a return to that prequel style. You know, like a little bit. You know, Lucas had so much time to train now on his own or wherever he's been, and uh, maybe we'll see him train Ray and and uh, you know, you know, pass off that style as well. So it'll be really interesting to see where that goes. I would. I would really love to see that because um, to to those listening who, you know, and the powers that be at Lucasfilm, there's this really great stunt coordinator. His name is Nick Gollard, <laughs> and he would be really great to choreograph <laughs> some of those fight scenes. If anybody's yeah. at all interested, um, you know, I can give my full recommendation, and I would certainly love to see that again. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I, I I'm sure you're going to be hounding Colin Trevorrow right about Episode Nine if you haven't started already. I mean, if I see him, I'll, I'll definitely make <laughs> some pointers next time. You got you got a good rapport with him, and obviously, you know, some insane lightsaber skills. So I'm sure you're like itching to get on screen for Episode Nine, right? I was I was really excited to see that you know he was announced for Nine, um, and working on set. On Jurassic World, you can see what he can do with a major franchise and how he he keeps true to what the franchise is. And he very much is, uh, you know, he uh, he understands the importance of giving fans what they want to see. Mm -hmm. And that's that dedication to the fans is what we all want out of a franchise. And so I was very excited to see that he's going to be doing episode nine. And uh, I know he's spent probably quite a bit of time at the uh at the uh skywalker ranch (laughs) yeah Uh, there's there's a lot to learn and there's a lot to see Mm -hmm. you could spend just weeks inside of the uh in the vault just looking at all the original props and pieces that from star wars as we know it Mm mm-hmm and uh, I know for Battlefront, actually, they did they did a lot of work photographing and trying to make sure that the the game was as perfect to the, the film series as possible. And uh, they did they went on to the locations and they really did an incredible job. Dice did an amazing job of creating the visuals for Star Wars Battlefront. Yeah, and you know when it when it actually came time to release this game, the hype for Star Wars was probably beyond any other film or, or franchise. And uh, you know, just how cool was it 
to to know people were anticipating, especially this game, actually, to find if there was, you know, any clues or secrets about The Force Awakens because there was that DLC that had Jakku, right? Yeah, and it was actually released simultaneously with the film. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I believe a couple days earlier for those who were... uh, Was it pre-orders and stuff, right? Yeah, I believe... Uh, I, I can't recall. I was so busy at the time. I wasn't even able to, <laughs> I'm sure. to play it. And um, I love the game, and I still jump on, every, especially anytime there's a new DLC. I haven't played the new DLC. I've been running around waiting <laughs> to play it. Um, and uh, I, I'm sure I was talking about something, of which I I forgot where I was. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the, I, I was really excited about the video game having been anticipating the next Battlefront game for what a decade, yeah. It's and been a while. just working on it completely aside, I was very excited for that game and very grateful to to work on it when when I was asked to to play Luke. Yeah, that's incredible. And, like, um, how does that feel? Like, to play Luke Skywalker. That that's always a great email. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, <laughs> can you can you come out for uh, to go work on this? This Star Wars game that we're doing in Vancouver. Yeah, yeah. Let me <laughs> let me set. To, um, let me check my schedule real quick. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. You have to think real hard, right? <laughs> yeah. Actually, at the time, I was um, kind of there was another production that uh, was interested in in having me or, or meeting with me and discussing working on another project, and uh, it was within the schedule that I had to go and do. Mm-hmm. Battlefront. Needless to say, I went and did Battlefront. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, you you know, there's a lot of. I've been fortunate to have a lot of opportunities, and I'm definitely going to take something like Battlefront as an experience over some of the other projects. And even if you know they can offer whatever they want, I'm going to pick Star Wars every time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think just to get get a foot, get your foot in the door, and just be a part of that universe is really something special. Yeah, for me, it. it it's just it's a lot of fun and you know having been a fan of it and mm-hmm. knowing fans of it it's important to be able to give the fans the best experience that you can mm-hmm. and uh if i can have any any part of that to to be able to give the fans something that they want and that i know that i would like to see people working on and creating uh, I'll, I'll definitely do do what I can for the fans and that that's something that me as an artist or whatever you want to call it that's something that <laughs> is important to me yeah so did you have to go in and put the tights on with the the whole you know the balls all over you you or whatever it is yeah <laughs> yeah we uh we went to the capture lab which is EA's facility at EA games in Vancouver mm-hmm. and it's the largest commercial uh motion capture facility in the world and we were very very fortunate to be able to use that space as our playground mm-hmm. to do the motion capture for the game. And, you know, we put on the, the gray leotards with the uh, <laughs> reflecting dots yeah. all around it and uh, take our swords and put the reflecting dots on those too. Um, of which I still I still kept those on my... Uh, for that, I used my Kendo Shanai oh, to do right. the motion capture with. And uh, I did not remove the dots from my, my Shanai. <laughs> after that and that's always fun whenever i travel around to you know comic cons or wherever i i'll try and bring that with me it's something that i know a lot of the the star wars fans like to see so especially the 
501st and Rebel oh, Legion, yeah. which are great fan organizations that uh, I have a great respect for and what Albin does with the 501st. And there's something that, you know, all respect to all fan bases all around the world and throughout different franchises, I'd have to say that what the Star Wars fans do and what the 501st and Rebel Legion do is something unlike any any fan base. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, besides Jurassic Park, that's another good one that I have to. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, have it's to, tough have to talk about. You know, um, <laughs> it, it's such it's such a huge fan base. The Star Wars one, it's got a ton of history and all this time to to create what it is. And something like the five hundred first, it just doesn't exist. I mean, sort of. Maybe you could say the the Jurassic Park motor pool. You know, with all the the jeeps and the the other vehicles, that's something similar. But it's the five hundred first is huge, and they do some really great stuff. It is, and they do amazing charity work, and they go to hospitals, and they go to conventions, and they they do a lot of charity work. That I think a lot mm-hmm. of people don't necessarily know. They see, you know, the guys in the armor and the costumes, and uh, they might not know that it's actually a, a charity organization that does a lot of great work around the world with their thousands and thousands and thousands of members, of which will will we, all you have to do is go to any comic-con and you'll see hundreds of them if not thousands of them i was just in cincinnati for the cincinnati comic expo which is really great show and in this the ohio garrison for 501st has a thousand members that's just crazy it's yeah mind-blowing the scale that they work on Do you do you interact with a lot of uh, Jurassic fans in person? Do you find them out there, you know, mixed in with the Star Wars ones? Oh yeah, there are, especially with these new T Rex outfits that uh, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> are easily available and greatly priced to where anybody can get a hold of yeah. them. You see them everywhere. Uh, I wasn't able to make it to Dragon Con this year, however, people were sending me all kinds of pictures of the the T Rex outfits and all the Jurassic fan base that was there. At Dragon Con, I mean, there was a whole team of ACU troopers, and oh, nice. I, some some of the fans sent me photos of that. Uh, and then they just had uh, just a field of the T Rexes, <laughs> which I always love seeing. It's always so hilarious. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's always great, and uh, something that I always do for the Jurassic fans whenever I see them uh, is I'll carry around. I Sometimes I'll forget, but I try to remember whenever I can to bring some dinosaur teeth. So if you're around and you happen to see me, ask if I have teeth because I generally <laughs> carry around dinosaur teeth for nice. special people who know to ask for it. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I'll I'll put a blast out on Twitter from somewhere saying, "Hey, I've got a bag of teeth," <laughs> <laughs> because I'll carry around the mosasaur teeth. That's um, awesome. For the listeners on this, I, I know that you all know what a Mosasaur is, course, so I don't have to explain that one, <laughs> which is always good. But people like getting Mosasaur teeth. It's such an iconic dinosaur that is now attached to the Jurassic Park franchise with their Jurassic World. And it's always exciting to be able to, to hand out these 16 million year old wow, teeth yeah. just around. It's just incredible to have a pocket full of 16 million year old living massive so, creature teeth in your pocket just wonder where they've all been like, in their lifetime yeah yeah 
Yeah. Well, switching Wild. over to uh, some Jurassic stuff. Uh, you, but staying in the in the game genre here, you actually you're you had your character as a Lego character in the uh, Jurassic World game. Did you uh, did you ever expect something That's... like that to happen? Nope, that is definitely a bucket <laughs> list if there ever was one. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's really cool to have my you know, Lego character in the, the video game mm-hmm. running around. I can play as my character, which is never something I, I thought I'd be able to do. I mean, it's one thing to have a character in a video game. It's another thing to be a Lego character in a video yeah. game. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just another step of awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's just really cool to have to be able to you know to, to see that representation yeah. and especially with the new thing and they they kind of did some like changes for the new uh lego mini series yeah um lego jurassic world and dominus escapes which is a, a fun video that is freely accessible on the internet to, to fans i yeah. want to check it out which is the the Jura- lego jurassic world mini series and you can find that on Facebook and YouTube or literally anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, that thing is awesome. I know the reaction has been really, really great. It's it's so much fun. And uh, obviously it's like it's something made for kids and, and to identify with the younger crowd, which is great because, um, you know, Jurassic movies are, are violent and, you know, they're they're kind of disgusting at times with all the blood and gore. But – this is something yeah, that kids that can enjoy. Yeah, did not stop my parents from showing it to me. Well, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that, I mean, we all kind of came into this as kids, you know, at one point. Um, a lot of us. Yeah. Some of them didn't. But, uh, you it's, know, it's great to have something like this for kids. Yeah, and Jurassic in general, it's terrifying and it's it's imaginary at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's, it's something that we as kids, we all love dinosaurs. We'll watch BBC's Walking with Dinosaurs or di- documentaries read books you know fossils and paleontology in general is just a fascinating subject and to have this franchise that's so closely te- uh, closely tied into something that we as kids all love to learn about i think is really great i know it's inspired a lot of people to become paleontologists oh, yeah. or have the fascinations and collections and to learn about something and that's something that i think is important to all of us yeah, and uh, you know, it seems like your character made an impact because you know he's in this Lego game, he's in this Lego series. It seems like uh, I don't know if it's exactly your character, but he's like called New Guy, right? I mean, it's this guy yeah, who falls in, in the, the mini series. Yeah, it's it's the new guy, and it's based on my character. When I think what they did was they they took the uh, the figure that's in the the Lego box set. Okay, and then they just kind of. <laughs> blended a couple a couple of things yeah. so it's essentially my character with with a baseball cap instead of a skull cap <laughs> um which it's, which it's, I'd, I'd love to give him a skull cap i think that would be fun that but would it's, identify it's more a, it's the same character yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so funny to see this because that introdu- introduction there, it's like, ah, they spared no expense, and then the guy just falls right into the pen, and, you know, it, it's it's a retelling of what happened in Jurassic World. It's not, obviously, it can't be true to exactly what happened because that, that'd be a little violent, but uh, it's so yeah. much fun, and I hope we see more of this in the future. Yeah, me too, and the Lego the Lego series in general is always our comedic take Yeah, uh, that's loosely based on the story of whatever whatever they're portraying. So you've got the Star Wars Legos, you have the Batman Legos, 
Um, you have the Lego movie, which also had Chris Pratt as, I want to say his character's name was Emmett. In, yeah, Emmett, yeah. In that. Uh, so th- there's all kinds of amazing uh, comedic storytelling or uh, reimagination of these iconic franchises, and they're always entertaining to see and play the games and watch the mini mini series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so much of like Star Wars is expanding in that in that genre with Legos, and I'd love to see this Lego stuff just keep going because we, like I said, kids need something like this to entertain them, and even if it's not canon or or anything really pertaining to what actually happened in the films, it's still fun to see them expand in a different direction. Yeah, and there's so much that can be done with Legos. I mean, Legos as a, a toy and a, and a product is something that everybody grows up with, and we create things and explore our own creativity and creation, uh, which is a great learning tool that we all have. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and even going beyond that, you have the Lego Mindstorms or whatever the current generation is, the robotics Legos, uh, there's a lot expanding to it, and you have people of all ages working on it. You have the people doing the Lego animations, where I always see this on. Uh, this is one that I see on Twitter a lot. Is the just small fans that are making these incredibly intricate uh, stop motion videos with the Legos. Yeah, and those are always a blast to see, especially what what fans do with the Legos, and they, it, it's a um, it's a great place to explore filmmaking in ways that other people other people might not have the same kind of cinematic control to create short films and i think legos is a great way to express those ideas or a great way to expand upon uh cinema as we know it people are always doing creative and unique things and that's always a great thing to see yeah absolutely um so like when it comes to jurassic park the films and for you uh how big of a fan were you before jurassic world came around for you I loved Jurassic just growing up. It was something that I watched. It scared me when my parents first showed me when I was like, what, six years old, I think, <laughs> when they first showed me it. And um, I think it was, they, they first showed me it about the time the second one came out. Okay. And that's kind of what I think when they introduced me introduced it to me. Um, I think I was about six years old. I, I can't remember. It was a long time ago. <laughs> it was. <laughs> but it scared me, and uh, I got over that, and I still liked it. Yeah. And it's it's something that, you know, I will watch every year and I'll watch all of them there. It's just a great series that Spielberg has done everything from the, the cinematography to the the CGI to these characters, these dinosaurs. It's, it's just it's a huge world that Spielberg created. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, to be a part of that is is truly an incredible experience and I'm great, certainly grateful for, and I think that Colin did a really great job in Jurassic world and working on that was definitely something I never really imagined. And out of all the sets that I've seen, you see movie sets and pictures and, you know, you, you know, I've worked on a lot of sets, uh, very early on. The first thing that I ever worked on was green lantern. Mm -hmm. And that's definitely a big budget movie where we're filming downtown with, cranes blocking out the sun with these massive <laughs> uh you know these massive silks that are just taking over the sky to create um shading mm-hmm. and these big sets and 
you get a feel for big blockbuster films from that. And then when coming into Jurassic World, it doesn't even hold a candle to <laughs> the scale of the sets on this movie. Not that I didn't have a great time working on Green Lantern, and I was definitely invigorated my interest in working in film. Uh -huh. But to step on set in Jurassic World, it, and time and time again, it kind of explained the same way. that It can't be anything else but Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. The sets, the style of them, the feel of it is is something that you only see in the movies and be able to be there in person to see the vehicles and the outfits and you know the cages it's it's there's really nothing else like that and the scale that they did for jurassic world is something that films will be hard pressed to to tap into yeah uh you know between star wars and jurassic park the sets that they've been building are, <laughs> are tremendous and yeah uh, Jurassic Park or Jurassic World for the, the Main Street scene I've never seen or heard of another set like that mm -hmm. um, they're just incredible what they built and they built this huge Main Street set where you have you know a dinosaur in just a walking area that they constructed for this the, the park mm -hmm. they have multi-story margaritavilles and <laughs> Japanese restaurants. You've got the steakhouse, which was named Winston's. Yep. Uh, after Stan Winston, um, the, the amount of detail that they put into it. The menu for Winston's at the top of the menu is Chilean sea bass. And that's something you won't even see in the movie. But yeah. there's just these inside jokes and this this unseen detail that everybody who worked on it put their heart and soul into making something for the fans mm -hmm. and making something for themselves. You know, uh, they really put their uh everything they could into it and to be able to walk around that and see it in person and to see people you know a thousand extras walking around with their jurassic uh shirts and the balloons and i can't even really describe it yeah uh with with apt words <laughs> well you know at this point it's it it's all about fans making these things like Star Wars and Jurassic World. You know, it's it's come full circle and now fans are are putting their loving touch into this and and creating it and taking, you know, huge care with everything. Yeah, we've reached a point now where uh franchises are expanding on beyond a single generation. Yeah. And I would say that for me it was uh my generation that was the second generation of Star Wars. Uh, mm -hmm. We were introduced to that through the prequels, and that was the first multi-generational uh, franchise. And yeah. now we've done that's been done again with the Jurassic Park franchise, where Jurassic a lot of today's generation has been introduced to Jurassic World. And at this point, we have the kids of people who worked on the original trilogy working on the new trilogy. Uh, as seen in, in Star Wars and Jurassic World. Uh, we also have fans coming in to work on it. And that's something that we haven't seen before. Uh, yeah. And we're seeing that in Star Wars, Jurassic Park, the Marvel franchise, and the, the DC world where, we're, where, where fans are coming in to being the professionals working on these series. And that's what's making these these massive films is that 
it's being created by fans and one of the things that was amazing to me like um the r2d2 team for the force awakens was you know the fan yeah robot builders <laughs> you know they they would build these r2s and they did such a great job that they were the ones hired to do the force awakens yeah it's incredible <laughs> Yeah, that it's just something you you didn't get a lot of you know in the uh, in the older days with with these films and and now it, now it's a huge part of the history and and uh, you know us fans really love these these films whether Star Wars or Jurassic and uh, we're definitely taking care and at this point I mean did, when you're a part of it do you expect something like this to be one of the biggest things ever I mean could you possibly have have hyped it up that much in your head i i think we had the idea that it was going to do well of course nobody really knows for sure until it comes out i mean you can have films where you expect you know monumental like momentous things for them and it just doesn't doesn't happen things just don't always work out the way that you you want them to or Mm -hmm. expect them to that's kind of just filmmaking in general or yeah or business, you know, you you do your best that you can, and it doesn't always work out. Um, but you know, sometimes you it really all comes together and it makes something fantastic. And we definitely did that with Jurassic World, and everybody who worked on it did such a fantastic job everywhere. Everything from you know Colin and the producers, Frank Marshall, um, down to the artists making the, the concept art and making the the motion capture for the dinosaurs, the dancers that we had portraying uh, the raptors for mm-hmm. us on set, which was a great eyesight. <laughs> uh, everybody really can come together, and it's it's a team collaborative effort and great work from above kind of oversight and uh, making sure that everything happens the way it should yeah and it comes together to create something spectacular and you know jurassic world is definitely one of those things and yeah the force of force awakens was another one and it, i think a lot of it really has to do with fans coming together to make these films and being able to take these budgets and do everything within their power to do the most that they can mm-hmm. for themselves, for the fans, because they want to see it themselves. Yeah. Uh, you know, I know for me, when I kind of took my character and, you know, the, the first thing I looked up when I had the, the reading for the film was what do the fans want to see? You know? <laughs> uh, and, and they wanted you know, you go on, you look in forums, you you see what are fans looking for. They know about it. They've known about it for decade for you know a decade before the film comes out. So there's a lot of time that people have been talking about it and yeah. kind of creating their own fan concepts and hypotheticals about what's going to happen. And you can read what the fans want. And any time where you can take this fan base and take people's desires and expectations and try to give that to them uh is something that helps i think filmmakers in general i know it's something that i definitely look for anytime that i'm working a part of a franchise or i'm I'm going to have some involvement it's Mm -hmm. it's always what the fans want and anytime that you can try to give it to them i think that's something that's very important and i know for me and as you know as small and 
as my character is and as little control as as I may have. It's something that I always try to keep in mind and do my research on. Uh, for me personally, I, I kind of I took a lot of that uh, wrong place, wrong time character that Lex has mm-hmm. in Jurassic Park. And for me, that was something that, that I tried to keep in mind. Saw something that it's something that a lot of the uh, the fans wanted to see, and it's something that I I think was a has, was in mind entirely for the character. Um, since his, since Colin wrote the character and created the concept for the you know the little raptor handler falling into the pit, <laughs> uh, was this you know a more youthful character that's just in way over their head. Yeah. And for me, I I tried to draw a bit of I tried to draw a sense of youthfulness into you know the scream and the the high pitched squealing voice <laughs> and you know yeah. I know it's something that that Colin wanted uh-huh. and uh, in the script you kind of read the character and he did a great job writing him and Derek did an amazing job writing this script to where you understand these characters yeah. And to embody them and try and create them and with as much depth as you can or as much backstory as you can. I know for me, uh, you know, I wrote pages of backstory and you have a script and you have your character. But as an actor, it's kind of our job to to fill in any anything that the writers don't have time yeah. to create. And uh, you try to make as much as you can for the viewers and the audience and you know they don't like not everybody's going to like everything but you try to just create something interesting that people are going to find humorous or whatever you take the script and the character and develop something so for me uh i wrote this kind of my own personal character backstory to help my process of creating the character um and you know what i kind of created my own backstory and just to to help with the emotions of the character and the way that the character speaks and talks and moves uh, and the reactions kind of came from uh, I kind of developed a a backstory I wrote just a few pages where I can envision a character from you know a small town Mm -hmm. where he worked at a zoo but he's not training lions or (laughs) tigers or even elephants you know this is the guy who works with the penguins you know and he's happy working with the penguins you know he feeds them and takes care of them and knows all their names and then this exciting opportunity with ingen comes up uh, or masrani corp and uh comes up to work at jurassic world which is where everybody wants to work of course yeah you know the coolest park in the world and <laughs> You know, it's awe-inspiring and fantastic, and uh, you know, yeah. maybe you get to work in a petting zoo with <laughs> the baby triceratops, and instead I'm working with raptors, and way over my head, <laughs> and just a bit, <laughs> and and that's kind of for me where I had a lot of fun exploring this character that's in just, you know. He's never put on a pair of boots in his life, and here he is, you know, on scaffolding, running around with a giant, you know, a giant. I don't know what to, not a net. I don't know what to call it. Yeah, we uh, we, we never know what to call that thing. Dealing with raptors, 
Yeah. We just end up calling it the pig loose thing. And uh, yeah, it just, <laughs> it's become our own canon here. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah, well, you can definitely uh, tell that 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 backstory from that guy because you know he's like you said he's in over his head and he and he does something that he shouldn't and he just doesn't realize that and uh, yeah, it definitely goes bad for him. Well, when the pig weighs more than you do, there might be some problems. <laughs> you know, that would be a natural reaction to reach down and try to stop the thing or grab it before it gets killed. But you know, I guess uh, you learn your lesson real quick in Jurassic World. Yeah, you know, you're told to go and do your job, and you got these big, scary guys telling you what to do. Oh, yeah. Not naming any names, Hoskins. Um, <laughs> and uh, you just do things that are stupid and don't make any sense, namely chase a pig. Yeah, or open the <laughs> cage. That that's, could be one of them as well. <laughs> no, I did not do that. So that is not on me, but I am grateful to be... Oh, wait, I did do he that. Did. I, yeah, he I opened did. the raptor pens. Yeah. Can't but forget that. I'm just that. doing what I'm told to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not your call. Yeah. It's it's uh, higher up people than you. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Whoops. My bad. Yeah, well, I you got lucky. no responsibility for the <laughs> events following. Look, if we see you in a courtroom in the next film and they're like, you were the one who let these things loose and killed Hoskins and... You know, a lot of other ACU or in-gen soldiers. Uh, you're in trouble here. I think we're going to throw you in jail. I think we could see that. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'd, I'd like to say that I'd come out all right, but we've had some preceding court cases after uh, major historical events that would, would tend to believe that it, those odds are not in my favor. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, that's always one of the questions we have with, with a follow-up here is like, does anybody have to pay for the, you know, the events there or the, the choices that were made? Well, unless the UN deems that. So I think they would be okay in the legal gray area. You know, they're smart enough to put themselves off on an island. And while that might have originally been Costa Rica, who knows how they're going to spin it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, ultimately, none of the people that are left, it was, like you said earlier, it was none of their choices. You know, it was all about these guys that are already dead, unfortunately. Ms. Ronnie and, and Hoskins, they, they all called the shots. Yeah, and it's not like they're there to, to speak for their actions. Yeah, what do you think is going to happen next? Like, where, where does it go from there after the, the basically the demolition of this amazing park? And, and what happens after that? I um don't know. That's a safe answer, right? <laughs> I think it's safe. I mean, you know, it, it's a little coy, but we can stick with that. <laughs> um, yeah, that's. Uh, I'm I'm excited to see it, and uh, even whatever information that uh, I, I I try not to learn anything that I can avoid. And yeah. That goes with anything. It goes with Star Wars. It goes with Jurassic <laughs> Park franchise. You know, on even on set. It's uh, it's one of those things where I will learn everything that I have to for my character, and I will That's see it. as much as I can <laughs> I can see to look at. But as far as the story goes, and I don't want to know what happens because, I, you know, the first time that I saw the film was at the Dolby Theater in Los Angeles for the world premiere, and mm -hmm. um, you know that was definitely an exciting moment that I'd been waiting for for a while. 
never mind having the fortune to be able to work on. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so even working on the film, you you try to close your ears where there might be sensitive information. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> on one hand, you, you want to be know, surprised but... <laughs> by it. Yeah. It, yeah. For me, it's I, I definitely that was the first experience of of knowing what happens for me. Uh, I didn't didn't want to know anything uh, that I didn't have to, because I, I love being surprised by this film, and I love watching mm-hmm. a film for the first time. Um, I'll have I have trouble watching trailers that might give too much information. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, definitely that, not one for spoilers. That's that's my problem. You know, I. I... At one point, I hit a wall where I, I was being spoiled too much with trailers, and I stopped watching them. There's a few I like Star Wars is one that I, I like can't help but watch. I think I watched a new yeah. Pirates trailer the other night, and obviously when Jurassic World two or whatever they're going to call it comes around, eh, I'm going to be watching that. But most films, I try to stay out of. You know? Yeah, it's safe. Yeah, that's the same thing. Um, I know for Star Wars, that's just impossible to stay it is. out of. It's so when the trailer for the force awakens uh premiered at celebration i was in in florida okay and uh i you know i had some some friends uh, at celebration um just from you know knowing a lot of the people involved in it mm-hmm. um you know i was just in uh ohio at Salt Lake city i'm sorry not Salt Lake city um that's not in ohio <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> at cincinnati uh comic expo and i was hanging out with um Peter Mayhew oh, and awesome. um, my good friend Ryan, who handles a lot of Peter's work and their whole family is really just, they're a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, some of my just favorite people. And uh, Peter and his wife Angie are just really great. And um, yeah, just literally their whole family, Katie and Ryan for shout outs. Um, they're all really great. And uh, who else was there? Oh, Ray Park was there. Who oh, wow! Plays nice. Darth Maul. That's awesome. Um, he's so great. Yeah, he's he's really great, and it's always fun to hang out, and catch up with everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so the the um, the trailer for the Force Awakens premiered at Celebration last year, and uh, I was in Florida at the time. I just literally jumped on a plane. And flew to Anaheim <laughs> to to just have some fun at, at celebration. Yeah. I was just text my friend Ryan. I'm like, um, should I be there right now? <laughs> and the reply is three letters starting with a Y and ending with an S. And uh, <laughs> I literally booked a flight on the way to the airport and hopped on a plane and I was there in like three hours. Yeah. So. Oh, God, I'm sure. Yeah, that was something special. Like that whole lead up to that film, uh, it was it was you know unprecedented. Yeah, I hope we get something like yeah, that. Man. You know, like a, the the fan base and and the love for Jurassic World two. I think it's gonna happen. You know, so many people loved this this new not reboot but you know restart of the the uh, franchise here, and uh, I think it'll be something special next time around too. Yeah, yeah, it's it's exciting and on uh, Jurassic World and. Star Wars, it's it's really great to see what they're doing. I know I'm looking forward to uh, Celebration Orlando. Oh yeah, coming up. That'll, that's always always fun. It's really great just to see these collective of of a fan base. There's mm-hmm. just nothing like it when you see, you know, literally thousands of stormtroopers walking around, uh, 
and that's something that celebration is unlike anything else. You meet people from all over the world. Uh, you know, in my pocket right now, I've got the the five hundred first coin for um, Badlands Garrison, which is I want to say they're out of Calgary. Okay. Um, yeah, they they just got a, a coin to me. So shout out to those guys. Awesome. Thank you very much. Um, and uh, it's just amazing to meet people from all over the world. I think celebration last year. I'm hanging out with a bunch of the guys from you know Ireland, <laughs> you know, the Irish garrison and uh, Japanese and garrisons and just literally all over the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Central America, South America, Asia, Europe, just pretty much almost everywhere. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, it's something about the con communities, the social media communities. It's it's really building all these franchises and bringing so many people together. Just, you know, in the in the Jurassic franchise alone, you might not realize how big the fan base is until you hit up something like Twitter or Instagram and and you find all these these amazing people. And uh, you've definitely embraced that that social media community between Jurassic and Star Wars. So how, how does something like that impact you on a daily basis with your online presence? I think I spend too much time on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, totally agree. It's, it's definitely, it's exciting and it's something that I love seeing. I love seeing the art that people do. That's one thing that I'm always looking for is I'm always trying to find the artists that make these these fan art and people are always, they send me things and I find things and I'm always trying to just to find new things that people are doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and art is always something that, that these fan bases are, are always kind of pushing the boundaries or doing something darker or doing something that's anime inspired uh, or these crossover universes that people will yeah. will pull together like you know Star Wars Pokemon crossovers <laughs> or, or whatever fan base. It's really yeah. fun to see. Uh, I always love seeing these these crossovers like the other day i saw a shirt that was a pokemon digimon and mean girls crossover (laughs) where it was a a group of pokemon it was bulbasaur squirtle and charmander um looking at uh a nearby gatomon (laughs) uh and then they the one of the pokemon it was like Squirtle says she doesn't belong here, or she doesn't go here, <laughs> or something like that. Just these hybrid references I love that it. Yeah. you see in memes and art and all kinds of things. It's really fun. Yeah, there's this one shirt I just saw recently. It's uh, it's the Jurassic logo. So you got that red and yellow, and that's you know that shape that they have for the symbol. But inside it says Epcot Center, and it's got the giant you know the spaceship Earth ball. It's it's one of those like crossovers <laughs> that I I'm like I need to buy that shirt. I love it because I love you know obviously Jurassic and all things Disney. So yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Uh, one thing that everybody always wants to see, and I, someone's got to make this something. This would be great to see. Is uh, everyone keeps saying that they need to that I need to be riding a riding a uh, a raptor with two lightsabers in hand? Oh my <laughs> god! Yes, <laughs> that needs to happen. That, this that is would this is much the call. Make my life that just be it. Yeah, <laughs> this is the call. Whoever out there has some you know amazing art skills, make this thing happen. Just make that a a spinoff where we just connect <laughs> Star Wars and Jurassic World. Looking at you, Kathleen Kennedy and Frank yes. Marshall. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, they know something about these franchises. I think it would work out. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> you know, it's that's something though. Like with the uh, with the whole Chris Pratt doing his his Pratt keeping there with the Raptors. That's obviously become an insane huge meme that's that has these crossovers like you said i've seen everything from like you know link from zelda you know with his hands out with three you know cuckoos or whatever they're called there it's just it's just one of those things that's that has this cultural impact that i'm sure when you're sitting there filming that do you have any kind of expectation that that's going to become this giant meme you really have no idea (laughs) what's going to become of it it's not something that you think about you know no you spend you're spending time in the moment, you know, creating what you're supposed to be creating. Uh, sometimes you you look around and you're like, "Wow, this is amazing!" Oh, we're rolling. All right, <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, they're just so awe-inspiring to, especially to be on set and to to see these things. It's just you know, you're sitting there with a big grin on your face whenever oh, you're God. not filming. Yeah. Uh, when I'm not terrorized, I'm smiling. There's <laughs> a giant grin. Just looking at the the Mercedes G classes with the giant Jurassic World logo that we had on. Just everything about it. Yeah. Me being a car nut, uh, it was really cool that we that we had the G classes, which is one of my favorite cars. Uh, yeah. Let Those alone the the six by six, which is just <laughs> this just massive vehicle. Yeah. Which I think they have the Jurassic World. Last I checked, I believe it's at the mercedes-benz museum in germany so for anybody who's out there go check that out yeah yeah you know vehicles Um, have been such a huge part of this franchise you know everything from the explorers and jeeps you know straight through the mercedes again in lost world and uh and now again here in jurassic world it's so great to have that sponsorship and you know people complain about sponsorships but it's it's a necessary evil that you have to have in there and this movie commentates on it perfectly and uh, Jurassic World did a really great job of including it in a way that's realistic. Mm-hmm. So while there's, I mean, Main Street and everything, the Samsung Innovation Center, <laughs> everything is branded. Yeah. Like literally everything. I'm walking around on set and I look inside one of the vendors, just walking through on Main Street to check things out. I look in the vendors and there's Peeps Marshmallows. Oh, man. I mean, <laughs> literally Jurassic World Peeps Marshmallows. I don't know if that ever made it on screen or whatever. Or if that's even, great. If that's something that can be talked I don't. I can't see any reason why that can't be talked about. It's um, Peeps, yeah. <laughs> they exist. It's fine. <laughs> and um, th- like, that's so cool to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think they had, I don't know if it was like concept toy art or whatever it was, early versions of things that they created. It's just so cool to see. Like this Starbucks. Yeah. One of the first photos on set that was actually put out there was from the Jurassic World Starbucks. And most people didn't even realize that it was a (laughs) Jurassic World like set release because Frank Marshall put up a photo holding a cup of uh, Starbucks Jurassic coffee in hand. He's it's a picture on set in the Starbucks in his cup. (laughs) Is yeah. the Starbucks logo that's been morphed to be, you know, for for Jurassic World, mm-hmm. and it's something that I, I think I don't even I don't know if people even realized what that was at the time. Um, but little things like that you just love seeing. And yeah, yeah, it's it's commercial, but it's awesome because that's how it really would be. Yeah, you know, they that's did a the good job of including it. Yeah, yeah, they did a good job of including it in a way that is comedic almost you know actually is entirely making fun of the commercialism that goes into theme parks like mm-hmm. you know um universal studios or um 
or uh, Disney World or that other one with the the whales and whatnot. Not going to name it on air. No public <laughs> exposure there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's something that's definitely a part of theme park culture. Yeah, yeah, you can't get away from it. It's it's just natural, and you know they made a commentary on it. But at the same time, you you know you see these things on screen. You can't make that commentary without those products and without showing it. And uh, I think it was a great great way to showcase the greed and everything that's involved. Just you know mirroring exactly what Jurassic Park did back in the nineties. Yeah, and it's definitely something fun that. Especially, it's hard to describe what it's like on the set, but when you are there and you see that in person, you just have a field day with it. Like every tiny little minute detail that they project on, on onto this uh, into the film that are details that you may not even make it because there's so many details there. Mm-hmm. It's just fun. Yeah, like the in the, the Jurassic in the um, sorry the Raptor paddock. Uh, just kind of hanging on a clipboard on set is the safety precautions, in-gen safety precautions. (laughs) You know, it's not something that ever makes it on film, but it really immerses you in your environment when you're there. Yeah. Well, you need these details to make it believable. Like you were talking about earlier with the backstory for your character, you you need to make everything seem real and legit and, you know, something that exists in this world. And uh, this movie certainly did that. Yeah, and it's something that, uh, as an actor, you you appreciate, especially in a in a day where so much is shot on a blue screen or a green screen. Mm-hmm. You know, to have to have real sets that you're interacting with, that you're seeing, that you're there. You're not just, you know, in a soundstage, you know, staring at blue walls. <laughs> it makes your job easier. You don't get the same, you know, and that's part of the job is being able to. Uh, visualize all of this and you know that's something we had to do on on uh star wars battlefront was you know we're on a soundstage there's nothing around us it's me a gray suit and a sword and you don't have the costume you have to picture all the little things that you might have it's something you have to visualize yeah um that's where you're gonna give cast of like avatar credit yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. know how oh they gosh, do that. You know, it's there's nothing there. There's a few things here and there, but that it's just wide open and you gotta really like work on it. So it's tough. Yeah. Yeah, and that's you know, having a, a visionary director definitely helps there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Abrams did a great job on Star Wars, Colin did a tremendous job on Jurassic, and I'm really excited to see what he does in Star Wars. And yeah, yeah. Would, James Cameron does in anything that's James Cameron. <laughs> anything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he's got like what, like five more avatars coming out. It's it's insane. Yeah, we'll see. I know that they're working on the uh, the avatar portion of the uh, uh, Animal Kingdom. Yes, in, I can't wait. In Disney World, and that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, um, talk about immersion. You know, they're going to immerse you yeah. so much in that world. That's going to be the fun incredible. thing about the the avatar visual. Um, something that Disney does in general does really well with is lighting. Disney mm-hmm. does a really great job with lighting. Yes. Whether it's their Disney movies or whether it's the Disney parks, they do a great job with lighting. Uh, so I'm excited to see what they do in the, with the lighting spectrum and the uh, the Avatar part of the, the park. I think that'll yeah. be really cool. 
Well, you see the, uh, the flowers and everything that they're creating and the footsteps that you leave while you're you're walking all along this pavement. It's supposed to interact with you. It's really cool. Yeah. And and I think Disney is really doing a great job these days of making their theme parks more than just rides. They're making them more immersive and they're updating them, which is good, especially as time goes on. You know, it's something that you have to give people something new and interesting. Yeah. And they're doing a good job of that, especially with the new... I mean, I was at um, Magic Kingdom, or not Magic Kingdom, sorry, um, Hollywood Studios the other day. Oh, wow, nice. And it's just all Star Wars. I mean, Star Wars <laughs> yeah. is taken over, which is great. They, yeah. I loved going to Star Wars weekends, and, you know, it, I, hopefully they'll bring that back at some point. Yeah, uh, in a few years, once everything's done. But there's almost done. not a need for it anymore because Star Wars is so much part of Hollywood Studios. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. It's there every day. Uh, it's going to be huge. And the details yeah. that are coming out about that that new ride system are incredible. Yeah. What what uh, I was happy to see uh, and spend some time in and uh, recently at Hollywood Studios was the launch pad. Yeah. Uh, the Star Wars launch pad, I believe it's called. Mm-hmm. And they've got a, a, a short film talking about you know Star Wars and cinema through the era. And the creation of it and the vision and all that. And then they have the, the props and the costumes and, you know, Jawas running around. <laughs> You've got the First Order walking around completely in character. Yeah. Um, it was it was a lot of fun. I was there and they oh, they made me have a button that says, I'm, I'm celebrating. <laughs> I'm Luke Skywalker in Star Wars oh. Battlefront. So I've got this button that I can't get away with. And, uh, <laughs> you know, when you're in Disney, you've, you've got a button... Everybody sees it. It's like yep. staff just hone in on it, and um, it it's still fun. And they do a really great job of uh, immersing park goers, especially if it's their birthday. Like it was, it was actually my mom's birthday when we were there, and uh, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. To, but, to get uh, that interaction is great, and to to have them yeah. reach out and you know even just see your button. It might be you know I always yeah. feel awkward wearing it too, but it's it's something to help with their interaction. It's great. Yeah, it is, and it was it was actually really great because you know at the the parks you have these the the actors and the um, I forget what the Disney specifically calls it. Cast They've members. got a name for them. Yeah, the cast members and. Uh, you know they're fans as well so i'm walking mm-hmm. around in in the uh the launch pad and they're the jawas and they spot the button and they're like com- they're super excited <laughs> but they're in character and so they're not saying anything and pointing around and making gestures <laughs> and bringing over their their supervisor and uh it was just a lot of fun to have this interaction with the person in character <laughs> and it's not like a comic con where people get excited and they're in a you know cosplay and you know, then they just kind of break their character and open up. But at Disney, they're not allowed to. No. So yeah. here I have this interaction <laughs> that's still on the on the grounds, and you know, it's different when you're backstage, like when at Star Wars weekends. You know, when we're just back in the green room chatting with everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, here we're out among all the visitors. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> they can't break character, and they see that, and you know, we're taking photos and doing all kinds of things and twirling lightsabers and whatnot. And uh, it was just a lot of fun, and it was really fun to see this excitement coming from their, some of the, the cast members and, and the Jawa outfits, uh, who were completely in character the entire mm-hmm. time. Uh, and that was just really, 
fun and different, not something that you you get to experience often. Yeah, yeah and it's only going to get better. I, I can't wait. It's going to be incredible. Something that uh, Universal definitely needs to do with with their Jurassic franchise. You know, they need to step would, up their game. I would you know? really, really love to, to see that. You know, it's, it's a huge investment. Mm-hmm. And you've got a million people doing all kinds of calculations about how something is going to work. And, mm-hmm. you know, actuaries and whatnot, trying to figure things out. And, yeah, uh, space definitely you know, hopefully, down hopefully, there. Hopefully, you know, they'll pull the trigger and expand. If they could just, I'd love to see them turn a part of the Universal Studios into the Main Street set. Yes. That we had. Like, if they could recreate that, that would be incredible. Just take a portion of uh, what? What did uh, I forget? What they City Walk? Yeah, City at Walk. At Universal yeah. Studios, just like take that and uh, <laughs> make a portion of that. Just a replica of the the Main Street set. That it would makes be super total cool. sense. Yeah, I, that yeah. has to happen. I'd love to go get dinner at Winston's. That would be cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like it's just to say, like, yeah, Alejandro, you know, made me this delightful Chilean sea bass. This is perfect. <laughs> I don't even know if I like well, it, and I'd probably order it. What was actually really fun is uh, the week after Jurassic World premiered, uh, you know, I was kind of just traveling around doing the uh, press tour, jumping around, mm-hmm. getting no sleep, jumping on <laughs> 6 a.m. flights literally every morning after yeah. the premiere, uh, which was great, and I loved it, but, God, it's exhausting. Um, 18 hours in one city, 18 Whew. hours in another city, just on a flight non- nonstop, and, and, you know... Um, Oh, just a really great time. Uh, but, you know, after about a week after the premiere, uh, I went back to, to L.A. for a, uh, a talk show. And um, while I was there, uh, I met up with uh, uh, Vanessa Weaver, who is one of the consultants on Jurassic World and uh, who, who was one of the dinosaur consultants along with Jack mm-hmm. Horner. And... Um, uh, we we went to Crustacean, which is you know one of those kind of typical. It's a actually it's a really really good restaurant in uh, in Beverly Hills that we okay. went to. Um, and the special of the day was Chilean sea bass, <laughs> so we literally had no choice but to order that. It's a sign, yeah. And of course, after the first week. Jurassic was breaking every <laughs> record imaginable, yeah. so that was a, a very appropriate celebratory it, dinner. Yeah, victory dinner right there. <laughs> Fitting. Yep. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you know, I've uh, I've kept you around here so long, and I don't want to hold you up all night, but uh, I, I would definitely yeah, want to let people been know. really great. You know, I want to let people know what you've what you're up to next. Do you have uh, anything people can see you in or find you in the, in the near future? Yeah, uh, we'll we'll see what happens right now. Um, there are a couple couple things that I'm talking with, and figuring out, and um, hopefully I'll be able to talk talk soon about things. Definitely. Uh, other things I'm working on is a a script that I'm working on, and I'm I'm pretty dedicated on right now. That's long in the works and a long way to go on it. Uh-huh. Um, but it, it's something that I'm really happy with and excited about, and hopefully I'll be able to reveal more information about that uh occasionally i'll post a little thing about the script that i'm working on uh, <laughs> that people don't even just like tidbits that no one's gonna pick up on at the moment uh-huh. uh they might try and figure it out but wouldn't, wouldn't know what it is but like the other day i posted um it's a kind of clandestine styled uh film that i'm that i'm writing right now 
And so the other day I was at a cafe and spilled coffee on uh, <laughs> I saw one of my that, script yeah. <laughs> pages. And uh, so I put on that there's been a leak. <laughs> and uh, Perfect. it being like clandestine, specifically the page is talking about radioactive poisoning. It's just mm-hmm. like four inside jokes and I'm the only one that's going <laughs> to get it. <laughs> <laughs> Soon enough, everybody um, will get so it. So it keeps me happy, but you know, hopefully, I'll be able to reveal a bit more about that soon yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah. Well, anytime in the future, if you have anything you want to talk about, you're more than welcome to stop by again and uh, you know, talk more Jurassic and whatever you've got coming up in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's yeah. Been great. So, where can everybody find you? I know you've you've got that great you know online presence. So, tell everybody where to find you. Uh, I'm on Twitter, and I recently opened up my instagram uh a bit more I, I had a private for a while and then you know my pr people are like nope that's not gonna fly you gotta open this public and <laughs> get it whatever it's, it's still really great because of that fan interaction being able to talk with people mm-hmm. um i can't answer everybody's questions uh but i leave my direct messages open for people that do want to get in touch mm-hmm. um and I, I try to see at least see everything that i can and i try to respond i can't answer every every question that comes in the door yeah um but i i do my best uh to to reach out to the fan fan bases it's just an incredible thing to be a part of and to to any anytime you can make someone's day something that i love to do um and you can find me at twitter instagram it's colby boothman or at colby boothman uh my website is colbyboothman.com if you're having difficulty finding those links through search which shouldn't really be a problem um but yeah definitely i'm always posting all kinds of fun things and star wars or jurassic or just fun pokemon things in general because god (laughs) knows i'm spending hours every day on pokemon go um that's become an unhealthy addiction (laughs) yeah Yeah, well, thank you so much, and uh, good luck with your, your script writing there and everything else you got going yeah, on. it's and, my uh, pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, we'll talk Thanks to you again everything soon. everything that, that you guys do. It's always really great to see see the podcast, and um, oh, always, always good to, to, to hear from everything, because everybody has their own inside perspective, and these interviews are the only way that even I can find out about things that I've worked on. <laughs> you know, you're always finding out something new and just being a part of something isn't enough. Like I'm always finding out about things that I work on or people tell me about uh, even like inside stuff about my character. And it's always <laughs> interesting to see, to see what people know and what they come up with. Yeah. Well, we um, obsess a little bit so, as well. <laughs> oh, I do too. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, But yeah, thank you so much for having me. No problem. Thanks again. Make sure to visit JurassicParkPodcast.com to find all our past episodes, brand new news articles, information on how to contact us, and much more. It's a great source for everything related to the podcast, and of course, Jurassic Park and Jurassic World. Head to JurassicParkPodcast.com and help us build a great community. Anybody hear that? Thanks for listening to the 72nd episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. 
Of course, I need to thank Colby Boothman for joining me to talk about his craft. I think it's so interesting to hear how he's transformed his skills in fencing to a career with lightsabers. Oh man, I'm so jealous about that one, that's so awesome. But to uh, also hear how his experience in Jurassic World felt immersive and real. Make sure to head to our show notes to find links to his work and his online presence. Thanks again, Colby. A big thanks to Jay Jurassic for debuting the very first solo segment here on the podcast. I'm definitely going to love learning all about his collection just as much as you are, so I know I can't wait for the next one. If you want to interact with us, we do most of our work over on Twitter, at Jurassic Park Pod. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Jurassic Park Podcast, and our Instagram handle is at Jurassic Park Podcast. You can listen to us via iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Podomatic, YouTube, our website, or wherever else podcasts are found. So make sure to subscribe to automatically get new episodes every week. If you haven't already, please give us a five-star review in iTunes or a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. It will seriously help our rankings and make it easier for fans like you to find us. We're usually spotted commenting on the Jurassic Park subreddit as Jurassic Park Podcast. Don't forget to check out JurassicParkPodcast.com for all the links you heard here today. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us with any news stories, MP3s, comments, or if you want to debut a segment of your own, send them to JurassicParkPod at gmail.com. Or you can submit questions directly via our website contact form. If you'd like to record something for the show, send it in to us and we'll feature it in an upcoming episode. If you don't have any way to record, you can give our voicemail line a call and leave us a message. That number is 732-825-7763. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Five minutes. Drop what you're doing and leave now.